Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Unsupervised Leadership Season 4, Episode 7, I believe. Is that right? That's right. I ask all the time, like, is that right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Every every week you ask, and then I say I don't know, and this week I said that's right. Okay, good. We're improving. 1% better every episode. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very good. Yeah. What are we drinking today? Let's talk about it. I'm drinking water. That's good. I'm proud of you. What are you drinking? Honestly, water right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so People are going to be a little bit disappointed in that, I'm sure. They are going to be disappointed. But you know what? It's because we have a busy week. We're trying to stay hydrated. We're trying to stay focused. That's where we're at right now. Next week, we're going to come at you guys with like a, a special drink. Again. Yes. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Because everyone likes the new drink that they can make at parties at Thanksgiving. We'll give you guys some good ideas. Yeah, I just made the uh, fall drink for Halloween. It was great. Yeah, it, it's the best ever. It's so refreshing. Yeah, I don't feel like I make it that well. I'm not going to lie. I think when you made it, it was better, but I don't know the parts, what should be, what shouldn't be, but I tried it. Okay, well, I'm proud of you. Yeah, yeah it was good. You know, kind of low key. Halloween oh. wasn't very fun this year with the weather here in Illinois. It wasn't great. No, it was snowing and gross, but you know what? We still had a Halloween parade and Halloween parties. Yeah, let's talk about that. How was it? It was great. And you know, people were a little nervous because they saw the weather. They were like, I don't know, should we be outside? But it was still 32. It was colder than what we're used to. But you know what? We have kids go outside for recess in 15 degrees and above. So why would we not let them enjoy Halloween? Because that's what they're looking forward to. Yeah. What is the best Halloween costume that you saw? Oh, gosh. Well, my assistant principal and I went as principal Barbie and assistant principal Barbie. That was great. I got to say, I did see a lot of Wednesday Adams from my students. Tons. Yes. Um, those were really clever. We had a lot of chickens, which I didn't know was a thing, but we had a, a fair amount like chickens, hawks, birds. That must be a thing. Um <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, I saw a lot of really good costumes. Kids are so creative. Yeah, they are. I think that parents are pretty creative too with their ideas. Well, yeah. Cause they're the ones that buy the costume and make it. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of thought that went into Halloween costumes this year. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know what we did this year, which I think other schools should copy when it comes to parties is our PTO, I will say, did a great job of making party boxes for every classroom in each grade level so that every kid has an equitable experience when it comes to classroom parties. Because, you know, you get the classrooms that have some moms that are like, I love making crafts. This is my absolute joy. And I'm so creative and I'm going to do it. And then you have other rooms that are like, nobody signed up to be the room mom. So <laughs> it's me. And I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go on Pinterest. I'm going to go to Walmart. I'm going to try and figure it out. But it was really nice because every kid made the same craft, had the same directions, and nobody felt like their party was better than the other. And that's good when kids have a celebration. Yeah, that is good. Do all grade levels have that celebration? Have the same boxes? Yeah, we did at K-5 this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Craft in each grade level and like different activities. But yeah, so that some people aren't like, oh, you know, so-and-so forgot the craft or we didn't get enough stuff. So the concept behind it was really good, I thought. Yeah, good. You So is it still that you can't have food for yes. parties and that kind of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. About that this year too. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it, when we were in school, we were allowed to eat food, candy. I get it. But now there's so many allergies and so many other things going on that like, you just don't want to be responsible for that. If a kid eats something they're not supposed to, I don't, it freaks me out. Yeah, for sure. Good. Okay. Well, Halloween then was a success and now we're moving right past Thanksgiving onto the holiday season, right? We are out and about, and there's just a lot of holiday stuff already happening. Some people go right from October 31st to December 25th. I saw some posts on that recently. Yeah. You know, I, I appreciate people who are into that. I would be if we didn't host Thanksgiving every year, but I can't do that because people will be confused if they come in my house with a tree up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had my tree up before when it's been Thanksgiving. I haven't for the last couple of years, but I've been known to do that. It just depends. 
when you feel the spirit. There you go. Speaking of being in the spirit and around Christmas time, our book comes out soon. And I know you all are listening to us. We would love it if our book came out before Christmas. You can put it in people's stockings for stocking stuffers, but I don't know if that's going to happen. It's not. Yeah. Okay. So you're confident in the no. I'm confident in the no. I was really, really hopeful, but I checked in again this week and we don't even have the artwork back yet for the cover. And I know a couple other people that their books are out. And so I've been timing it. And I think it probably is going to be January, February. But what a way to happen with the new year. Kick in the new year with a new book. That'll be yeah. awesome. If it's February, Valentine's Day, give the book to someone you love. There you go. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then it'll be spring break. What a great read to read on a beach. Yeah, on vacation. Take pictures in all of your places that you're at with the book. That's right. That's right. Now, I did notice that last week we posed a challenge to our listeners and no one took us up on that challenge. Do you want to I talk know. About I'm so disappointed, honestly. I'm not surprised. I mean, I guess. I just We've think- had hundreds of people listen to the episode, too. I looked I at the comments. Yeah. Probably are like, I don't want to make a video of myself. That's so awkward. Get over it, people. People need to see something good. Yeah, I think that is exactly what it is. But you still have people out there making videos on TikTok. And that's kind of what inspired you to even put the challenge out there anyway. I do. I love the TikTok videos. I have like a sick obsession with them. I think they're hilarious. And my phone, obviously, my algorithm's all about schools because I'll be like cracking up to myself (laughs) at night about some of them. Yeah, I, I definitely have not gotten into that. But I will say that last week I said that I wasn't following Britney Spears on social media, but I guess that I am following her on Instagram. I'm just personally not on Instagram, so I don't see any of that stuff. But I know that last week when I said that I got the book, you were like, oh, oh." but then all of a sudden you got the book and you actually finished the book before I finished the book. So I think we should have a quick TMZ moment here and have a conversation about the Britney Spears book. Okay. Listen, I, you are right. I don't, I was not going to read it because I just see her on social media currently today. And I'm like, this person is not in the right state of mind to produce a book. That's what I was thinking. But then I was thinking, you know what? I need to give her the benefit of the doubt. And I really am interested in the story. So I have to say, if you have not read the book, you should read it because it gave a lot of valuable life lessons about what happens sometimes to women, whether it's in a leadership role or if they are like out in front of people, um, ways that people can talk about you. Um, it was really sad at certain points of it, like really sad. And I felt really bad for her because I think she's been through a lot. And I think that, you know, the outside people like myself, before I read the book, made an assumption about who she was and why she was the way she was. And that was not nice of me. And I'm sorry, Brittany, if you're listening. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure she's listening. Right. But I will tell you, one of our book chapters is don't judge a book by its cover. And I said last week. I've been a Britney Spears fan, always enjoyed listening to her music, didn't follow too much, but did, but didn't at the same time. But reading that book was heartbreaking. And I think that it really exposes some of the things that have happened to her and the reasons why these things have happened to her. And if even 50% of that book is true, which you got to assume that it likely is, she's had a really challenging life in a lot of ways that people would not. And I think people have made assumptions. They've absolutely judged a book by its cover. It was a pretty uh, big tell all book for her. There's no doubt. It really, really was. And you know what else I thought was interesting the whole time I was listening to her um, tell her story, like the difference in the media between her and Justin Timberlake, like they both, you know, broke up. It was this big scandal, but People were only prying and asking her inappropriate questions and putting her in awkward conversations where they were not doing the same to him. Oh, for sure. And I earmarked like a ton of different spaces in the book that I felt like related to different things that you and I talk about. And there's a piece in here that she was talking about performing and then some of her perceptions about 
performing. She said, I liked looking cute. Why did everyone treat me even when I was a teenager like I was dangerous? Meanwhile, I started to notice more and more older men in the audience. And sometimes it would freak me out to see them leering at me like I was some kind of Lolita fantasy for them especially when no one could seem to think of me as both sexy and capable or talented and hot. If I was sexy, they seemed to think that I must be stupid. And if I was hot, I could not possibly be talented. Yep. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that poor, she makes a lot of statements like that where she is like very objectified, but nobody's really paying attention to her talent. Like she lost yeah. that ability a long time ago. And she talks a lot about how, as she got older and her family took more of a role in her life, how they were making every decision for her. So she started to make decisions that she knew she wouldn't inherently make, but she did it to make them angry because she felt like she didn't have a voice, which was so sad. It really is indicative of some, so many of the things that we talk about, about how women can be objectified. doesn't really matter what industry, appearance type of things, um, imposter syndrome, so many of the things that we talk about. You know, I have a free Britney shirt. <laughs> Remember yeah. when she was going through her conservatorship, I got a free Britney shirt. And she even speaks about, I don't know, I don't think people knew how much the free Britney movement meant to me, especially in the beginning. Yeah. So she was kind of watching that. And then She's like, if you stood up for me when I could not stand up for myself from the bottom of my heart, thank you. And I was like, wow. I mean, so I don't know the details behind how the book was written, where the book was written, any of that piece. But I do know that reading it, you you cannot help but feel some type of empathy for what she's gone through. And so many judgments have been passed her way. Oh. So many. So many. And she talks about how, you know, she was put in this conservatorship where she was deemed like mentally unable to make any decisions, but yet they were still making her work every single day. And the part about keeping her receipts in the bowl, because she knew that she wanted to manage her money appropriately. And that was her own way of being able to do it, even though the rest of the world said she couldn't. I yeah. was, oh, that, that broke my heart. You know what else broke my heart? The way that she didn't really come out and say it, but she talked about mean girls, right? Because she talked a lot about how the media was awful to her and how Justin Timberlake, who is a male, didn't get half the heat or like problems she did, but that there were different females of influence that chose to not say anything at all or say certain things at other times that like made her look or appear shady. Like she talks about Christina Aguilera saying not kind things about her, but then one time said something nice. So she was like, that's odd. Like, why would she do something like that? And Diane Sawyer, who has all of this influence at the time to give her as another female, a spot at the table and say, tell your story. Let's talk about this. How does this make you feel? Instead use the angle of, what did you do to poor Justin Timberlake? And what is your problem? And do you feel bad that young girls want to dress like you when you're wearing outfits like this when you perform? Like totally missed the mark. Don't you wish that we could get Britney Spears on this podcast? I do. Or, hey, listen, I want to get Diane Sawyer on here and be like, now that you know this, like, you know, it's kind of the concept when you know better, you do better. And yeah. I wonder where all of these people are right now and where their statements are like, oh, I didn't realize that I hurt you this way or my line of questioning was inappropriate or like it's it's fascinating to me. It really is. And if you've not checked out the book, definitely check out the book. It was number one. And I saw on the news yesterday, since this is our TMZ moment, you know, yeah. unfortunately, Matthew Perry passed away this past week. And now his book is number one. And I want to read his book next. I don't know why I haven't read his book up until this point, but that's that's just tragic, too. Yes, I read his book before. Oh, OK, I need to check that out. I was a, I, I am a friend's lover. I love friends. Um, and his book was very sad also because he talks a lot about how he didn't want to just be remembered for friends, but he wanted to remember helping people. Like he makes a very poignant quote that's been all over social media. Like I, he says something like, I can't help myself from drinking or doing things, but if you ever stop me and ask me, no matter if you're a stranger, I will do my very best to help you. Cause he like understood how difficult his life was, which I was like, what a good person. Yeah. Well, you have to imagine that 
the rest of those people that are on friends are just devastated by that loss too. Cause one of the things that I had heard is that they truly are friends. Like yeah. they, were, they were actually friends even all of these years later. So yeah, two, two devastating things that we're talking about. This is, yeah. you know, this I need is- to ask you one more TMZ question. Cause I'm dying to know. Yeah. You love you're obsessed. I should say you were obsessed with JT. Has your opinion changed Justin Timberlake? Well, I have always loved <laughs> Justin Timberlake. I absolutely have. I, I don't know that my, well, yes. I mean, I can't not read that book and be like, oh my gosh, but right. yeah, that doesn't, that does not sit well with me. And i really felt, I felt terrible for her. And so if you're going to choose sides, obviously, if I'm reading that book, your heart goes out to Britney Spears. But you also have to think, I mean, these people are in the limelight, but the way that she portrayed the situation and what had happened and all of that with their relationship. I remember I went to a concert at Soldier Field and they were dating. This is years and years ago. And they were dating then and she was there and it was an NSYNC concert. And we were like in the seventh row, Diane and I, and standing on our chairs. And we look back and we see Britney Spears. And I remember in that moment, looking at her, watching him on stage and the admiration, and she was just enamored by him. So you have to sit there and wonder, what is Justin Timberlake thinking now that that book has come out? But yeah, I'm certainly not a fan like I was. Let's just put it, put it that way. <laughs> I needed to ask that. That was like a podcast question because I know yeah. you love I love his music. Okay, yeah. Never really actually, and Diane would attest to this. Diane always loved Justin Timberlake. I always loved InSync's music. And I like Justin Timberlake's music. I wasn't really a Justin Timberlake fan. I'm a Justin Timberlake music fan, if that makes sense. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Good clarification. The one I really liked in InSync was Joey Fatone. He was my favorite. I like JC Chavez. He was my favorite. Oh no. See, I was, I was a Joey fan and she was a Justin fan and now you're a JC fan. Yeah. But I, people wise, I loved Joey music wise. I was a fan of Justin Timberlake, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I can feel that. That's good. Yeah. We never really, uh, dug deep into that (laughs) before. (laughs) Now we have. Now we know. Okay. So the other thing I want to talk about today is I feel like lately in education, and maybe it's just the algorithm or the TikToks or the social media, but I feel like there has been a big push to share accolades, accomplishments. I think it's just that time of the year where people get like best places to work, different ratings, all those different things. And I love that. And I think people deserve all the recognition in the world. But for those leaders listening to this podcast right now, and you're like, So I need to pick me up. I need my teams to be okay with where they're at and make progress forward. I shared a video with my staff and it's from Simon Sinek. If you know Simon Sinek, he's great. He was at the um, conference, joint annual conference that you did back in September. And he makes a video and it's called Being Comfortable with Failing. And he gives this, it's a two minute video. And I think it's great to start a staff meeting with or a team meeting or even an administrative meeting if you're a superintendent listening to this. And he talks about in less than three minutes, the importance of failure and how failure is not a good word because people hear the word failure and they think about all the terrible things they did. But instead he actually advocates for what they call a falling party. So you, when you fall, you trip, it's because something got in your way. But the most important part is what you do afterwards. So once you recognize a deficit or an area of improvement, it doesn't matter that you recognized it. It matters what happens afterwards. And he talks about if you never have those moments throughout your career or within your team, if your team is dysfunctional or whatever, if you never stop to acknowledge that those exist, you will never get any better. And sometimes I think that that is a message that is lost, especially in terms of like everyone sharing their best moments on social media, because there's got to be principals, teachers, people out there right now feeling like my team is falling apart or my team is feeling dysfunctional or I'm not, this is a rough patch or we're implementing something new and we need to make sure that it works well. I think it's a good icebreaker to have people talk about their feelings, but also recognize that you can only get better if you have found a problem and worked on a solution. That's my rant. I like the rant. 
And, and I love Simon Sinek. You can't go wrong with Simon Sinek. He's brilliant. And people are afraid of the word failure or fail. Yes. I didn't, I didn't realize that or know it, but I, in an interview one time asked, I was interviewing mm -hmm. and I asked when it was time to ask a question, one of the questions that I asked was, will I be allowed to fail in this position? Mm. So they answered it. And then after that, I got a phone call from someone on the panel that said, I was really uncomfortable with that question because we don't believe in failure. Oh. And I said, okay, well, I appreciate you calling and talking to me about that, but here's my perception about failure because everyone, no one's perfect and we are going to make mistakes. And even as leaders, you have to, be able to work with people that realize that you're not perfect and you are going to make mistakes, but the concept of actually building a team and allowing people to mess up. Um, we don't talk about things like that. We shove it under the rug. And I agree. We're always about, we're going to promote the biggest accolades and we're going to shine so bright. And I agree with you. I think that there's really um, a lot to be learned and celebrated with that. But at the same point, that's not the day-to-day. -day. The day-to-day -day is much more falling on your face, making a wrong decision, wishing that you would have done something differently and having enough humility to say, okay, well, that sucked, that didn't work out. And now let's, it kind of goes back to what we were just saying about the Diane Sawyer thing. If you know better, you should do better. Yes, yeah, exactly. And I think that those moments, however uncomfortable, give leaders an opportunity to recreate the story of their culture. Because I think when there's a failure or a moment where people are maybe disgruntled or not feeling at their best, it is your responsibility as a leader to say, okay, so we know that this happened. What are we going to do now? And like, talk about it in a free way. That's non-judgmental. Like I, it's nothing to like lose your, you know, life over anything like that. Like we recognize there's an issue. What are we going to do to fix it? But I think having those hard or maybe more direct conversations is something that is uncomfortable for people. But I also think it's totally necessary. I agree. I think that a lot of people are afraid to disagree with the leader. Yes. Or say like, this isn't working and here's why. And it's like, okay, cool. Like let's make a change or a modification or, but it goes back to your question, I think of, am I okay to fail here? Or is it okay if I can fail here? Because I think people hear it and they automatically think like, I suck. This is so bad. And their confidence goes down and their reasoning behind what they do goes down. And if that happens enough times in a row, I could see why, you know, educators lose their sense of confidence or their professional judgment, or they become disgruntled because it's like, they might have a really good idea or a suggestion for a change but it comes off in a way that's not professional or appropriate. Right. And if you talk about failure, then the assumption is you must be incompetent, which that's yes. not the case at all. In leadership roles, a lot of people feel like they can't even get to that point or nobody wants to challenge or question because if they do, then you'll be seen as disagreeable or you'll be challenging. And sometimes I think from a leadership role, some people who hold the title it is a hierarchy and that's how they expect it. And they expect that that's how it's going to be treated and you're not to question them. And if you do, then there's some type of retaliation or retribution that goes along with that. And I think that that's a problem for a lot of organizations too. And I don't think that's education related. I think yeah. that's in any industry, I think you would find that. But the idea of failure should be embraced because we say it all the time. Nobody's perfect. And we love Simon Sinek. I told Tony Sanders, you need to get Simon Sinek on our podcast. And he started laughing. His thing that he did with Simon Sinek when he had that fireside chat with him was incredible. It was so Yeah, great. I'm so sad that I couldn't see it. Yeah, it was... <laughs> It was really something else. And Simon Sinek was just there and he was really relaxed, but Tony was just asking him all sorts of stuff. And I mean, the way that his mind thinks is just like nothing I've ever seen. It was really, really cool. I think what our message is today is it's okay to fail. Why aren't we talking about that? And why can't we make 
failure or call it whatever you want. I still think it's okay to say failure or failing, but why can't we just have some open-ended conversations about that? But people don't spend the time in organizations to even talk about that because everyone's on this hamster wheel and it's go, 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 go. And what's next. And then it's always about the accolade. It's not really about learning from your mistakes. Right. Well, and going back to that, if you guys are into listening to audiobooks, obviously besides our book, he, Simon Sinek, just wrote a book called The Infinite Game, and I just finished it. And he talks about the difference in business, education, whatever sector, that people who lose are always in the winners and losers game, like the competitive game. Like I need to get to this short term, you know, ending in order to feel like I've won or I've done something. But people in infinite games know that there's some days you win, some days you lose and you create your own reality. So what happens to you when you lose is just as important as what happens when you win. So it was very good, very good book. People should read that. Speaking of other books that we are going to promote, we do need to promote. Well, we've already promoted our book. So like, we're good with that. But I haven't told you this yet, which you are going to really appreciate. My aunt, who is a retired teacher, actually, she retired from Evergreen Park. She taught there for like 25 years. She just sent me a link that she wrote a children's book and it was published the other day. Yes. Can you believe that? So it's out. It's called In the Blink of an Eye. It's about schools and like kids perception of what happens during the pandemic like when they were at home. And it's a very cute children's book. Very good. She just wrote it and let me know about it. I didn't even know she was doing it. And it's funny because she is such a girl's girl. And I say this in the best way because she listens to our podcast all the time. Her name is Margie Wings. And she said, heard about your book, already ordered it. I always know I have a seat at your table. And she didn't say anything about her book at that time. And that was like a month ago. And I, this whole time she must've known she had a book and she never said anything. And my cousin reached out and said, Hey, Kate, you'd want to know this. You know, my mom wrote this book and I know you're in education. And I texted her right away. Like I ordered it. Can't wait to read it. And thanks for being so great and listening to our podcast and promoting our book when you had your own. So she needed to get a shout out. Yeah. Way to go, Aunt Margie. And no one's going to promote you other than you. So she needs to get out there and promote. And we are absolutely going to continue to promote. I feel like we've talked a lot about literature and books today. We're really smart. Look at us. People are like really going to appreciate all the books that they just have to order because we told them. We gave them four, four options. Yeah. And Carrie Ruby, we've had her on the podcast, superintendent here in Illinois. She just uh, launched her book as well. If you haven't checked it out, you need to check out her book as well. Keychains and comfy shoes. So make sure that you check out Carrie's book. Make sure that you check out Aunt Margie's book. We're going to link all of these into our chat. Don't forget about Britney Spears book. Britney, come on our podcast, please. Yep. Yeah. Brittany, Simon Sinek, if you're listening to this, we still love you and want you on. And oh, last but not least, our good friend Joe Sweeney also wrote a kid's book called The Totally JJ's Totally Great Adventures that came out. It's on Twitter. It's on Amazon. So we're all about reading today. Like next week, we're going to like bring you something new. (laughs) Yeah. Since nobody picked up on the TikTok game to make videos, now we're back to reading books. We're all about it. We are all about it. Well, I think we should cut to the chase here and let's do a quick intro for our incredible guest today. Last week, everyone, we had Madeline McCune, who's the Director of Governmental Relations at the Illinois Association of School Administrators. And this week, coming to you, we have Emily Warnicke, and Emily is the Chief of Staff at the Illinois Association of School Administrators. She's a wife, she's a mom of three. We're gonna talk all about working moms. We're gonna talk about unsupervised leadership. There's so many things that you're going to gain and learn from Emily. So without further ado, let's get to that. But before we do, we need to hear from our Sparkle sister, Dr. Bhavna Sharma-Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. Here we go. Hi, this is Bhavna Sharma-Lewis with today's Sparkle Spotlight. No one really sees what you do right. Everyone sees what you do wrong though. And when that becomes clear to you, you will start doing things for the right reasons and you will start having so much more fun. Cheers to living your best life. Sparkle on. 
We have Emily Warnicke, the Chief of Staff at IASA, the Illinois Association of School Administrators. Emily has been a psychologist. She has a non-traditional path into the superintendency. And now she is the Chief of Staff, which means she's kind of a big deal. <laughs> Emily, welcome to Unsupervised Leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, don't thank us yet. Yeah. We're just getting started. <laughs> Girlfriend, tell us a little bit about yourself and more importantly, what's your favorite drink? I, I knew to be prepared for that question. Um, <laughs> and as, uh, as I'm sitting here listening to this, I realized I forgot to send you my bio. So apologies. So I'll just give it to you now. How about that? Yeah, yeah do it. Uh, so like you said, I did start out as a school psychologist, did have a non-traditional pathway into the superintendency. I was a psychologist for a couple of years then became a director of student services for five years, I guess. And then I went into the superintendency after that for four years. And now I've been with IASA and the Illinois Association of uh, School Business Officials as well for the last two years. And my role, as you said, is chief of staff, but a big part of it is advocacy. So working in the state capitol, lobbying on behalf of public education in the state of Illinois. So that's a little bit about my professional career path, I guess, if you will. Personally, I am married. I have three children, all boys. They just started school this week. So woo, back into the routine, which we're all excited about. They are seventh grade, fourth grade, and third grade. So very, very busy around here. They're very involved in sports. Football just started last night. So we'll be... Um, you know, running everywhere across the Metro East here, where I'm from down in Illinois, um, for the next three months as we go to their respective games. And my husband is a football coach also. So we're a big, big football family. And that's pretty much all we do from August through November is, is go to football games. So that's what I'll be doing for the next three months. And while I'm doing that, I will be drinking lots of black coffee which is oh. my my favorite go-to. I have to drink that every day, at least two cups. So then starting around noonish is when I'll switch drinks. And I my typical go-to is vodka and water with a lemon. So, you know, as I get older, I have to stay hydrated, you know, so that's that's my go-to. Well, what's interesting is that I think I've had some espresso martinis with you. Oh, yeah, I don't do those anymore. Oh, <laughs> that was a night, man. That was a night. Yeah. I do still have the talking stick in my office though, as oh, a reminder of that, of that lovely evening. That was such a lovely evening and it was a terrible next morning and bad. real bad. Kate might not know this, but your boys, your three boys are just adorable and uh, your husband's great. And so we had an opportunity to hang out together in Washington, DC. And Elle just adores those three boys and they, <laughs> and she adores Emily as well. Mm -hmm. And so I do want everyone to know that I was, we have a shared Google folder of photos and all mm -hmm. of a sudden I look and you'll appreciate this, Kate. I look at one of these pictures and then about six pictures pop up because Emily had taken my daughter to the bathroom. And on the way back, there was a big, huge bottle of Prosecco, the biggest bottle of Prosecco I've ever seen. And all of a sudden it pops up with Emily in the background, giving my daughter this great big bottle of Prosecco. And they <laughs> took like six pictures of it and it randomly shows up oh, I love that. in our Google photos. I thought you would enjoy that. I was like, Good job, Emily. Yeah. I, I, mean, I couldn't pass it up. I couldn't yep. pass it up. I do want to clarify that it was a decorative bottle. It was, oh, yeah. there it was, was nothing in it, but still, yes. yeah. But it was gigantic and I had her with me. I'm like, you know, the opportunity doesn't present itself that often yeah. to do something like that. <laughs> like, so. hey. Yeah. And this morning she's like, wait, you're interviewing Emily and Madeline. I love them. I'm like, you're not invited. You're yeah. not invited, girl. Oh my gosh. That is true. She's like, oh, Okay, Emily, one of the reasons why we absolutely love you is because when we talk about work, we talk about women in leadership, you are uncensored, you're real, you let it rip. So we want to know, what does unsupervised leadership mean to you? What does unsupervised leadership mean to me? Well, I think kind of basically what you just said, honestly, like being real, being honest, putting it out there for, um, you know, for everybody to to hear the the real talk. I know Courtney says that a lot. This is real talk right here. Uh, that's what that means to me. I think that 
that people appreciate that, right? I know a lot of times it might be like a little bit of a shock at first. And you're like, oh man, this person's like really putting it out there. But I think in my experience, at least, because that's how that's how I lead, right? That's how I led my district um, when I was a superintendent and when I was in leadership positions there. And I think for some people, it is a little bit of a shock at first, but they really do appreciate it, right? They appreciate the honesty. They appreciate the openness. In many cases, I feel like it makes you more approachable as a leader when you are willing to be open and honest about it because people know where they stand with you. You know, you're not afraid to tell them exactly, um, you know, what the issues are that you're experiencing in your organization. And in, in my experience, people appreciate that. Um, you know, it might catch them off guard at first, but then they're like, oh, this is actually really great because now I know exactly what this person expects of me. I can, I feel comfortable telling them exactly what I expect of them in the leadership role. Um, I think in reflecting on my time as a leader, that was one thing that was important to me was that I was honest with people about my expectations for them and that they felt comfortable telling me what their expectations were for me as their leader, because you know, again, in in my opinion, I think that's what makes a really great quality organization is when you can have that kind of relationship with everyone, uh, with everyone who's involved in your organization. So mm-hmm. you're a working mom. You got a lot going on. Let's be honest. Yes. Uh, you mentioned football. I know that that is the heart and soul of your family, but it's also very, very time consuming. And then you have this incredibly high power job that you have to be everywhere all of the time, um, available 24 seven. I want you to speak to working moms. And what are some of the things that you believe that the workplace should have to be able to help out working moms? Well, you know, I, um, I do feel like I've done a lot of reflection on that topic here in the last uh, last month or so. Like every every time, every year around this time, I start preparing myself for how crazy it's going to be in our household because it it is, you know, like I said, my husband's a football coach. All three of my boys play football at different levels. I have a spreadsheet of all of their games. Once I get their schedules and I plug them all in in there so that I know where I have to be and when because the weekends are just they're just full. Right. And I need something like that to keep organized. And so every time around every year around this time, I start like preparing myself for the craziness for, for how hectic it's going to be. And I think I'm still, I'm definitely still a work in progress when it comes to this, right. Still trying to figure it out, how to manage all of these things professionally and personally. And I think that I'm also, so I'm also, I feel like I'm having a little bit of the, the, the midlife, you know, epiphanies. I won't call it a crisis. I'm going to call it midlife epiphanies, right? About what we need as women and, you know, as we get older and as our lives change and our jobs change and things like that. And for me, I've tried to approach this upcoming year really thinking about priorities, right? Like, okay. I'd really like to be able to go to all of these other things, but I just can't do that. And it's not worth driving 80 miles an hour on the interstate home to, to rush home and get to this thing. You know, I have people around me who can, who can get them there or who can do this for me. And I need to start prioritizing myself a little bit because I don't think I do that very well. And I think probably a lot of working moms feel the same way. And I'm at the point where I'm like, I got to start doing some of that stuff for, for me. Right. And so that is something that's a personal goal for me moving into, you know, this next year and subsequent years is really figuring out a way to at least prioritize myself like once a week, do something for myself once a week, um, and maybe letting some of the other extraneous things go. But in order to do that, I know that I am also going to need to have some priorities at work right? And I'm going to need to have some flexibility at work and things things like that. So I think that, you know, as we do see more women in the workplace, you know, we're trying to encourage as an organization, Courtney, you've done a great job of trying to encourage more women into leadership roles. I know, Kate, you're, you're a principal. I know IPA has done the exact same thing, trying to encourage more women into these leadership roles. 
we have to understand as a society that we've got to have some flexibility for working moms to be able to do all of these things, right? To be the super mom at home and to also be the super leader that we want them to be. And that's in the best interest of our kids and our organizations for them to be, right? And in order to do that, we're going to have to have some flexibility. I know in a school system, it can be a little bit more difficult, but we are seeing across the country more more flexibility in terms of work hours, um, flexibility in terms of where, like the physical location where you can do your job. You know, I think the pandemic really helped us turn a corner societally when we realized, oh, we have to make this really like 90 degree pivot into working somewhere other than where we've worked all the time. And we came to the realization that we can, we can do some of our work in other location other than the office environment. So I think um, that's, that's been really helpful for a lot of, a lot of females. I know most of my friends, my personal friends are not in education, right? Like I've got work friends and um, many of them are educational leaders, superintendents, principals. And then I've got personal friends, like, you know, from, from home and none of them work in education and every single one of them have the opportunity to work from home. I had them over here for a girl's day one, one, um, one day this summer, and they were all telling me about their jobs and they, every single one of them had the opportunity to work from home. Some a hundred percent, I will say the girls that work from home a hundred percent are like, oh, I kind of miss the office environment a little bit, but I do really like the flexibility the vast majority of them have like a hybrid type situation and they were just telling me and and many of them have kids who are younger than mine. So, you know, that time, I feel like it's almost a blur. I don't even remember that time of my life when my kids were that little, but the way that they described how beneficial it is for them to have that flexibility while they're trying to raise kids and, you know, do all the things in the home, um, you know, really, um, it was really eye-opening to me about how much more accessible that makes the work environment for women and how much uh, more positive it can make the home environment for women when they have the kind of flexibility that many jobs are offering now. Yeah. We have a bad habit in education of we've always done it this way. So this is how we're going to do it. And mm-hmm. I think that that mindset needs to change because the pandemic in general, I think has opened a lot of people's eyes to the possibilities of things like you know, we've heard people say, well, you're in education, you can't work from home. And it's like, no, not, not all year, but like the summer times or Fridays during, you know, June or whatever that might look like. There's an, there's an openness or something out there that we can do to meet people where they are and stop ignoring the fact that like, we just went back to pre-pandemic and everything we do, even though we learned a lot. Um, so speaking of that, Emily, if you had a magic wand and you can change anything in education right now, what would that be and why? I actually just read this article in Ed Week about the number one thing stressing out superintendents, and it was politics, mm-hmm. uh, politics infused into education, right? Um, and I, I, I read the study that um, Ed Week did the article off of. I, re- you know, I read the kind of the analysis of it, and it was really interesting. It said that politics is the number one thing stressing out superintendents and talked a little bit about principles and and as well right because that it trickles down everywhere politics is infused everywhere into our school systems and that was really interesting to me because of all of the things that they said that were stress causing that was the number one and it was kind of open-ended the way that they worded the question in the survey to where it could be local politics stuff state politics stuff or national politics. And a lot of times, you know, when you see things at the national level, then it trickles down to your your local level, right? With your school board and things. But I think that if I had a magic wand, that's that's what I would do. I would wave away the, the politics and the influence on our educational systems because a lot of times it does create unnecessary stressors for leaders. And really when they'd like to be focusing on teaching and learning, they they're not because they have to focus on this this political integration of all of these different issues into into their work. So that would that's what I would do. I would just wave away the political in, impact on our education system and yeah, hopefully relieve cool. a lot of stress in the process. Well, and ironically, that's what she does at her job every day is politics. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I guess I'm trying to use my magic wand every day right. and, you know, trying to alleviate some of the potential stressors of politics and right. education. Your magic wand would wipe you out of a job, girl. Yeah, yeah. you're right. It would. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you had a non-traditional path into the superintendency. Kate and I talk about this all of the time. So you talked about being a psychologist, like you've never been a building principal, but you were a superintendent, correct? Well, I was a building principal for when I moved into the director of student services position. Part of my role was building principal, but it was for an early childhood building. So it was only early childhood, just pre early childhood. Don't say only early childhood girlfriend. I used to be an early childhood principal <laughs> and those little nuggets are sometimes the hardest. Oh, for sure. I mean, like the behavior sometimes are off the charts Amen. and you're the yes. first person at that time to tell parents, you know, if you notice something difficult with their child, so don't say only yeah. like, that's a big, that's a big, yeah, yeah. that's fair. That's fair. I guess I'll yeah. say, because, um, after I kind of transitioned out of that job, I was based in our elementary building and it was so much bigger. Um, you know, it was, that was K five. So it was, um, you know, whole different set of issues over there. Yeah. Right. So managing a building like that was a very different experience than managing an early childhood center. Um, and it, it was smaller, but yes, okay. I, I, I was technically for, for a short period of time. Would I say I got the full experience of being a building principal? No. Got it. Okay. Well, so from your vantage point, then you were a successful superintendent. There's no doubt. What do you think is the key to the, a successful superintendency? What would be like one or two things that this is what makes it? A hundred percent relationships. That's it. I wouldn't even say there's a second thing. I would just say number one relationships. That's it. And that's relationships with all players, right? hundred percent your board without a doubt. Like you cannot be a successful superintendent and have a bad relationship with your board and a story. You could have good relationships with every other every other person in your district and not have a positive relationship with your board and you will not be a successful superintendent. It just will not happen. But your teachers, your teachers unions, your leadership team, I can't under, cannot underscore the importance of having a, a positive relationship with your leadership team, making sure again, that there's that level of trust and, and openness that I spoke about earlier, where you can tell them what you expect and they can tell you what they expect. Um, that kind of reciprocal relationship is absolutely key. In my opinion, I still have really close relationships with a lot of the people who I worked with when I was a superintendent principals, teachers, everybody. And, um, we do still talk about that, you know, about how, how, um, the communication was two way and how it was always clear what we expected of one another and, and how important that was to our success as a district, right. To have, to have that kind of, um, of relationship with each other. So hundred percent, that's my answer. There's not a number two. That's it. Number one. What's the biggest misconception about you? The biggest misconception about me? I don't know. That's a tough one. You're like giving me hard ones today, ladies. Yeah. We're Barbara Walters. Yeah. If you haven't picked up on it. Please. Mm -hmm. yeah, biggest misconception about me. I will say some people, as I've you know gotten older and had new relationships with new people and just been more direct and honest because i'm i'm very direct and honest i will say that a lot of people have said to me oh i you know i didn't think you were very approachable at first because i'm i'm quiet at first when i'm sizing sizing people up like let's be honest i'm a psychologist at heart right i'm still a psychologist and so i'm always like um, observing people and you know trying to figure out who, who they are and what makes them tick and things like that. So I'm quiet at first. So I think a lot of people take that as, oh, she's not super approachable. And then they get to know me and they're like, oh, wow. Like you, you know, you just say, you just say it like it is. So uh, like, if you didn't like me, you wouldn't want, you wouldn't be talking to me kind of thing. So I guess that's probably the, the one thing I would say is the biggest misconception about me is that I'm not approachable at first, but I, I really am. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Mm -hmm. All right, Emily, before we go, tell our listeners some F4 leaders that they should be following right now. F4 leaders. Well, just you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that. Yeah. 
else though? Who are some fun, fabulous, fierce females in your world that our listeners should listen to or should like connect with? Listen to, I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of the F4 leaders in my life are not on Twitter or whatever it's called now, which I refuse, I refuse to call it. Yeah, that. it's so cool to do that. I think when I think about F4 leaders, a lot of the women in my life who are, who are that are just like, they're not on social media, right? They're not putting it out there like you guys are. I think that it's really, quite frankly, unique that you guys do this and you do put yourselves out there. I wish more women, more F4 leaders would do that because I think there are so many that we could be following and, and listening to and watching. Um, and they're just not putting it out there for, for whatever reason. And so I hope that you guys can change that culture with what you guys are doing. I know you're on season three, right? Season three? Four. Four. Season four. Four. Yeah. Okay. You obviously need to get caught up. On yeah. I, well, I saw it on Twitter today, yeah. um, but I must not have read it that closely. Uh, but the, or maybe the, I put season started. three. Yeah. Yeah. Up. No, you did. Yeah, obviously, my counterpart at IASANI ASBO, Madeline McCune. If you're not following her, you absolutely should. She's amazing. So she is someone who I know is putting stuff out there and putting, you know, putting stuff about leadership and obviously anything political that you need to know about. If you're in, if you're listening to this from the state of Illinois and you need to know about anything politics, you're going to get it from from her. So certainly be following her. But I think I would just add that I do hope that you guys are inspiring more women to to put this kind of content out so that women can follow and understand that they're not alone, that it's not just them, that everyone is struggling with the same things. And the more voices we hear, the better. Mm. We like that message. Wow, what a, you're, you're doing some marketing for us. Thanks, yeah. Girl. Way to go, Emily. Way to go. <laughs> You're welcome again. We brought you a great guest today, Emily Warnicky. If you're not following her, you should. She's the inspiration everybody needed this Saturday morning. And always remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, you can always sit with